Um, our scripture reading for today is from Titus chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. It says, So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. And as they're headed back there, I'll invite you to take your Bible, if you brought one with you, and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we will be today. Before I jump into the message, I would uh, like to just extend uh, the exhortation from Jason um, about our offering. Uh, This is a world-changing offering. I know it is hard to believe a church this small with people who sacrifice so deeply can literally be agents of spreading the gospel around the world. In the past, through our offering, not only have we done things like help uh, adopt and fostering families, but... Um, our first few years, we were collecting offering to get the uh, Bible translated into a uh, known language for some of our um, unreached people groups in Asia. Those then were put on audio devices. Those audio devices were then spread into villages that can only be reached on foot. And I can report today that dozens of churches have started um, because people in this room sacrificed to give money we sent to missionaries that are very near and dear to our heart, and the Holy Spirit went with the word, and the word did not return void. And there are churches, and church planting churches, believe it or not, um, in, in thousands of miles away in Asia that are a result of your faithfulness. So I want to say thank you, um, and we are going to take up that offering again at the end of the service. Um, it's just an honor to be a part of something so much bigger than, than yourselves. And I feel like this is important. It's important for our church because if you're not careful, you'll go through this whole season with the busyness and the nostalgia and the singing of the hymns and eating of the food and the parties that we do and all the things we have to do. And we'll slide right into that, into uh, New Year's, which will be all about resolutions and being a better you. And then we'll look up in February and we'll realize that we've really missed Jesus. We missed what he was, <clears throat> what he was saying. We, we missed what he was doing. And I hope that's not the case for us. It's easy to miss, though. Because our world, our culture has literally begun to push it out in every way possible. I love the song we just sang. uh, And for Phil and Kaylee taking on that song, there's not many worship leaders I know that will pick a song that deep and rich and lead it um, with such a heart of worship. The passage that we read just a moment ago that Grayson read, this phrase just like grabbed my heart this week as I was doing my Advent devotionals 
Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. You ever read something in God's word, it just grabs you. The grace of God has appeared. Grace appeared. This word appears, the Greek word, epiphany, where we get the word epiphany from, meaning the appearing of Christ, which is what Advent is. It's the appearing And we're waiting, just as they waited for Christ's first appearance, we wait longingly for him to come again. And it is speaking directly about the Christmas story, this passage in Titus. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. There's many names used within the Christmas narrative. Maybe the most significant is the name Christ. If you look at that with me in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, a passage you're very familiar with, but I don't want you to blow over it as I read it aloud. If you read it on your device or on your, if you bought one of the actual Bible with pages in it, we'll have it on the screen as well. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will deliver his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, God? I pray that through your word, the reading of it, us hearing it with our ears and then with our hearts, like a gospel seed being implanted into fertile soil, Lord, that it would produce a difference in our lives, that we would see you more clearly today, or that our hearts would be stirred. Holy Spirit, would you come and do what's necessary in our hearts, that you would bring conviction or encouragement. You would help us to see correctly the path that you've laid before us. It's in your mighty name that we pray, amen. Verse 18, you see this word Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. Some translations say the birth of the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Messiah, in Hebrew, means the anointed one. And over the course of the Old Testament, in the period leading up to the birth of Jesus, there was an expectation that there would be someone to come in the future, a Messiah, an anointed one, who would fulfill all the Old Testament promises that had been made. And you can read some of those. If you're walking through an Advent devotional, you've seen some of those in the book of Psalms, or in Micah, or in Isaiah, Pointing towards one day, all the way back to Genesis, this promised seed. There's going to come one day someone who is going to come and right what's been wronged. He would be an anointed one because he would be someone specially selected to bring about the salvation of God's people. 
Now, there were three offices in the Old Testament that were traditionally anointed with oil as a symbol of their divine appointment or service unto God. These three offices were the prophets, the priests, and the king. And Jesus fulfills each one of these anointed positions more perfectly than anyone could have ever anticipated. Now, I don't want us to get lost in the language of prophet, priest, and king, as that's not language maybe that we use or we see them in light of maybe uh, our current culture but more in what the positions were meant to do. Jesus really came to do these three things. So for us not to miss Jesus this Christmas season, I want us to remember these three things that Jesus came to do and is still doing in and through our hearts as we yield and submit to him. First, he came to speak to us. This is his anointed role as a prophet. A prophet was one that would tell the truth. We cannot know God unless he speaks to us. We are finite and created beings, infinitely smaller than God, the God of the universe. And our sin has, in many ways, left us in darkness. What Romans talked about, when sin is present, then our our darkness becomes, I mean, our understanding becomes as darkness. And so we don't know who God is or what he's doing in the world and what our role is because in, in light of it. If we're to know God, he must intentionally intentionally and specifically speak to us. In the Old Testament, God spoke through men that rose up as prophets. Throughout the ages, God would raise up a prophet to bring a word to the king or a word to a, a nation or a word to a specific person. These words of instruction, words of warning, words of comfort were seen in none greater than Moses. Y'all remember Moses? He'd been with us. We walked through the book of Exodus And so many of the parallels of Moses are seen in Jesus as Jesus was the greater ultimate deliverer. Through Moses, God saved his people from slavery. He parted the Red Sea and fed the nation with bread from heaven. He delivered the Ten Commandments, provided the rest of the Old Testament law that we know as the Torah. But during Moses' prophetic ministry, he made a very Unique promise that stuck with the people of Israel all the way up to the birth of Jesus. As many of these characters in the Christmas narrative begin to look back on this, let me remind you of what it is in Deuteronomy 18.15. The words of Moses, written by Moses, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Hundreds of years passed by. The people of Israel never saw a prophet like Moses. There were lots of prophets, and even with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and the like, but none would be like Moses, certainly not greater than Moses. And then Jesus arrived. And he opened his mouth and began to teach in ways that no one had ever heard before. Most prophets would begin their prophetic message, and you've heard it, Thus saith the Lord. But Jesus just said it as if he was the Lord because he was. The crowds immediately began to notice this and recognize that Jesus was different. Matthew 7 records it this way. The crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes or teachers. So God had done incredible things through Moses, like parting the Red Sea and raining food from heaven. But when Jesus arrives, he doesn't just part the sea, rather he walks on water. And he doesn't 
call down bread from heaven, but he takes a loaf of bread and multiplies it enough to feed thousands of people. Naturally, the people start to wonder whether this could be the prophet promised by Moses thousands of years before. Jesus was more than a prophet of God, right? He was God as a prophet. And on this occasion, God did not need to send send someone to speak on his behalf. God came himself. And he spoke the words of God with unique authority because he was one with God. He was the word. Hebrews talks about it like this way in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Listen to this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's amazing. Upholds the universe. The earth kind of floating in outer space. It's just kind of weird, right? And yet God upholds the universe with the word of his power. In the beginning, Jesus opened his mouth And out came everything. Hebrews 1 reminds us that he is still fully in control. As the world around us begins to crumble or we feel unsettled. As the economy gets better or gets worse or politicians do better or do worse. As our own situation is better or worse. Some of you struggling with really heavy things. Yet some of you are on the other side of those heavy things and you're now beginning to put the pieces back together. You should be reminded that before all things was Jesus. And even now that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, he's not threatened by the news. He doesn't watch the news ticker on the bottom of the screen and be like, ah, I didn't see that coming. No, Jesus is before all and in all and at the end he will be the one still holding all together. John says it this way in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Truth. In Jesus, we see what God is like and he speaks truth with grace. It's not that he just came with the truth like your CPA delivers your taxes and it says, you know, if the IRS says you owe thousands of dollars, that's truth, right? You do owe the money. He doesn't come like that. No, he comes and speaks truth with grace. His truth lines up with the deepest parts of us, with the longing of our souls to know that this brokenness we live in right now is not how it was meant to be, and it's certainly not how it will always be. Jesus comes as a prophet and speaks words of life and truth, gives us an invitation to come and follow him, to come and see him. Come, he says, those who are weak and weary and heavy laden. Jesus came to speak truth. I read this this week. Last week, I actually grabbed my heart. This is from a writer named Marianne Bird. I grew up, she says, knowing I was different. 
I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to others. Little girl, mishappened lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. She says, when schoolmates ask, what happened to your lip? I would tell them that I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced nobody outside my family could love me. Then there was a teacher in the second grade we adored named Miss Leonard. Annually, we had a hearing test. She writes, Miss Leonard gave the test to everybody in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years, as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk across the room would whisper kind of loudly, and we would have to repeat it back to her. Something like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? There I was waiting for the words. And God must have put those words in her mouth. The seven words that changed my life. Miss Leonard said in a loud whisper, I wish you were my little girl. It's in the brokenness of our sin, the, the deterioration of our society and the meanness that we see in other people that Jesus speaks those very words to us. I want you to be part of my family. He would later say that I didn't come to leave you as an orphan, but to call you as family. And Jesus doesn't just whisper this, that he wishes we were part of his family. He covered the cosmos and took on human flesh, born in the lowliest of situations, to tell us, to invite us to be part of that family. He came to us. And spoke truth to us and he's still speaking to us today. Jesus speaks to us. His role as a prophet. More than that though, he came to save us. His role as a priest. In verse 22 of Matthew 1, all this took place to fulfill Matthew 21. Chapter 1, verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. If Jesus was just a prophet, then Christmas wouldn't be worth celebrating. It's not enough for us to know more about God or more about his word. It's not enough for Jesus to give us more instruction of what we should do but cannot do. The problem with humanity is not that we're just ignorant of God's word. The problem is is that even when we know exactly what God has instructed, we rebel against him. And then what James says, even when there's no temptation in front of us, we put the temptation in front of us so that we may partake in it. We need more than just someone to tell us that we're sinners. We need someone to take away our sins. And from the beginning, it was made very clear that that is what Jesus came to do, to speak truth to us and then to take away our sins. And I hope you don't get lost in this. Let me just do a little context, a little history of the role of the priest. In the Old Testament scriptures, there's an awareness of the separation that sin calls between God and man. And so because of that, God ordained a ceremonial system of worship designed to convey God's holiness and man's sinfulness for the world to see. 
He commanded a temple to be built where God's holiness would manifest itself in a particular room called the Holy of Holies. It was separated from the rest of the place of worship and only certain men could enter into that area in part of their priestly duties, these anointed ones, one of those you see in the Christmas story in Zechariah, who would enter the holy place only once a year and only to offer a blood sacrifice for his own sins and then the sins of the people. And there grew a deep and longing yearning for an ultimate anointed priest who would restore the world one day and save the people from their sins for all eternity. And Jesus came to accomplish that work. The work of the priest in the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing towards the ultimate priest, the great and better priest. He was the anointed one, the Christ, but he didn't come to sacrifice the blood of goats and bulls. No, he came to sacrifice himself for the sins of the people. Jesus came to earth at Christmas for the purpose of going to Calvary. God had become a man so that he could take on himself the full punishment that we deserved. Hebrews 7 gives us a little better framework. It says in verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's another one of those phrases that grabbed me this week. He always lives to make intercession for them. Always making intercession. Can you imagine Jesus himself? even now standing at the right hand of the Father as your advocate, making intercession for you, always making intercession. Can I just remind you that Jesus is your advocate, that he is for you, that he loves you? Jesus came to speak to us, to tell us the truth. He came to take away our sins. But more than that, he came... To, ex- to invite us to be part of his kingdom in which he would be the king. He would be the sovereign, the good and right and just sovereign king. Perhaps some of us like the idea of Jesus speaking to us and the fact that he came to save us. Those give us, you know, kind of the warm fuzzies. That's so nice, Jesus. If we could just accept those two functions, then Christianity would be great and easy, wouldn't it? If we could just take Jesus' words as suggestions and accept his salvation as a transaction, then we would continue to live according to our own little kingdoms, building our own little temples. Maybe we would be happy, but that's an illusion at best. You can pursue that myth if you like, but I promise you eventually you're going to find out that you're not enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not strong enough. You're not wise enough, you're not holy enough, because you're not Jesus. Jesus, even as a baby, was more than enough for the world. This is the power of the incarnation. The story of God becoming a baby is also the story of God becoming a king. John's incarnation narrative, we read just a moment ago, differs from Luke and Matthew. He simply writes, the word became 
flesh. In the incarnation, God's transcendent power becomes imminent power. The extraordinary receives ordinary swaddling cloths. But don't be fooled, he arrives as a king. Jesus isn't born weak but mighty. The otherness of God doesn't disappear but comes close. He walks into the world, walks into our world. Our mundane tasks are enveloped in his presence. And this is fundamental, church. Don't miss this. The glory of Christ's incarnation is good news. The weight and power of darkness was not too much for Jesus. The sinister shame of sin is not too much for Jesus. The power of this world and all of, all of its injustice, not too much for Jesus. He's the greatest, and he will be victorious. His fame is above all others. His worth exceeds them all. His might and judgment will overcome this desperate and decaying world. And if we're honest, that's a little scary. That's okay because God's transcendent power becomes imminent power right in front of us. We will never enjoy the benefits of Jesus as prophet and priest if we don't believe and embrace this third office that he came to fulfill and that's Christ as king. We live in the religious south and there are many a churchgoer living their life just as everything is just hunky-dory, everything is good. Because they love the idea that God speaks, almost like he like, uh, whispers the lottery numbers into their ears, he speaks, so that we might benefit. And that he offers salvation like an ATM transaction, if you just say this prayer, you just utter these words, just the ABCs, right, of salvation. If you just walk through these simple little steps, and you get salvation, and then you can live however you want. But that's not the gospel. What did Jesus say? If anyone wants to be my disciple, he would have to take up his cross and follow me. That's the, really the call of Christmas, to see Jesus as king. We will never enjoy the benefits of Jesus as prophet and priest if we don't see and surrender and submit and yield to him as Christ the king. We've been rejecting God's rule as king since the beginning. You see it in Adam and Eve when God gave them a specific rule and yet they pushed back on it and said, God, we're going to take it from here. Everything you made is so nice and wonderful. We're going to now try to reason things out on our own. We're going to do what we want to and yet sin entered the world through that. And we all strive with all of our might to set up our own little kingdoms that only lead to disaster and death. But God promised that one day there would come someone from the line of David, King David, who would sit on an eternal throne and rule a never-ending kingdom. His kingdom would have no end, Isaiah says. Luke chapter 1, verse 32, 33 says it this way, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Friends, this is where the universe is headed. The Bible speaks of a day when everyone will have to give an account. When everyone will have to stand before 
King Jesus. When every knee will bow and every tongue confess the kingship of Jesus. On Christmas Day, the kingdom had come, had come because the king had arrived. When Jesus was born, this new era began for which we are still awaiting its completion. It's already begun, but it yet is not completed. We're living today in this space between. Jesus began a takeover where God's kingdom would enter and totally overrun the kingdom of man. It will be a kingdom where there is no war or death or sorrow, nor crying, Revelation 21 talks about. There will be no more curse of sin, Revelation 22. No more separation from God, Revelation 21. It will be a kingdom only for those who repent of building their own little kingdoms and turn and trust Jesus Christ and faith as their new and eternal king. Jesus was born into this world with nothing to prove. He was born the king of kings and the prince of peace. And the invitation to the shepherd that night, if you remember, was to come and behold the promised one. Salvation of God reaching down into our world. This is the same invitation to all who become citizens of that great kingdom. The invitation is to behold the king. Just as the angels invited the shepherds to come and behold the king. God's first coming transformed us from refugee to citizen in the kingdom of God. We were once bound to the kingdom of darkness, alienated and estranged from God. Now we've been transferred into the kingdom of glorious light. Amen. No longer do we scavenge for a place in this world. No longer are we resigned to being our own king. No longer do we establish earthly kingdoms. Instead, Christmas reminds us that we have found our home in Jesus the King. And our lives are shaped by his life and his kingdom of compassion and grace and forgiveness and love and hope. And this is why we sing with such joy at Christmas. Christ has come as the great anointed one. He is our perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. I don't know if you caught in the O come, Emmanuel, they sang just a minute ago. There's a few verses added that speak to this very thing. The third verse, O come, O come, true prophet of the Lord, and turn the key to heaven's door. Be thou our comforter and guide and lead us to the Father's side. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. His work as a prophet speaking truth to us. His role as the great high priest. O come our great high priests and intercede. Thy sacrifice our only plea. The judgment we no longer fear. Thy precious blood has brought us near. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. And the fifth verse. His role as a king. O come thou king of nations bring. And end to all our suffering. Bid every pain and sorrow cease. And reign now as our Prince of Peace. Let me close with a few thoughts of what we do now. So Jesus came to speak truth, to save us from our sins, and to lead us into his, invite us into his righteous kingdom. What are we to do? How are we to respond? The first is that we would just listen. 
Don't come with arrogance and pride. I don't know if you've been reading through the Jesus Storybook Bible. We've been doing that this Advent season. We haven't, we haven't hit every day, but we're averaging about every other day. It's incredible, though. At the end of it, Ashley and I, just tears flowing down our face. What was the one we read the other day? Oh, with Naaman being cleansed of his leprosy. If the only thing he needed was something he does, didn't have, and that was nothing. That's all you need to come into God's kingdom is nothing. You can't bring a resume. You can't bring your list of good works. He's the opposite of Santa Claus, right? There's no karma in like you do good things, you get more gifts. No, none of that. Jesus said, in spite of your sin, I'm coming. Because of your sin, I'm coming. Are you listening as he comes to speak? This was the greater part of Jesus when he was about to leave and his disciples were trying to get him to stay. Oh, Jesus, you don't know what, I'm, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't leave. We're just getting this thing going. He's like, oh, no, no. Someone better is coming, and that's the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you continually, inside of you, leading you to truth, bringing conviction, giving wisdom. Are you listening? If Jesus came to speak, are you listening? Not just to the gospel as a means of salvation, but the ongoing leading of his spirit. What's he saying to you? What's he reminding you of? Are you listening? Next, that we would remember would remember that our sins were so heinous, so ugly, so vile, that God had to send his perfect son for us. No spell or incantation could remove your sin, no. The right and just judge had to come as a baby to grow up, to live a perfect life, and die in your place. Your sins were so heinous that Jesus himself had to come and die, but you were so loved, and this is the beauty of the good news, that Scripture says that it was a joy for him to do it. Remember the depths of your depravity, the chasm that existed between you and God, and that he would provide a way for you to be part of his family. That is the good news of Christmas. And then finally, that you would surrender. If he's the rightful king, and he is, then we should take a position of surrender. Everything over to him, not just Sunday mornings, not just some of our kids, not just some of our resources, not just some of our finances, that we would live in a position of surrender, saying, Christ, you're the king. Can you imagine if he wasn't a good and just king, yet had still the right to become king? We would all suffer because of it, but because he is perfectly good, and he is full of love, and he cares so deeply for you, we can trust him, that we would come to him and surrender, even as Mary did in that famous Christmas text. Let it happen, as you have said, she offers Here's one thing I found. 
Meaning and purpose often comes on the other side of surrender, not on this side of it. We begin to know what God's doing as we surrender, as we yield our lives to him. His invitation to you today is an invitation for you to trust him because he's good. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up. We're going to take the offering in a minute, but I want to lead you in a prayer under these three headings just real quickly. Would you pray and just silently where you are, would you talk to God? Would you invite him to speak to you? And listen, not just with your ears, but your heart. Would you ask him, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying? You might hear him reminding you of his incredible love for you. You are my son. You are my daughter in whom I love. You have nothing to earn and nothing to prove. You would just let that wash over you as the Holy Spirit testify to your position in the family of God and heir to the throne of all that he has. Listen to what he's saying this Christmas. Next, would you ask God just to bring to your memory and to your heart all that he's done for you in the gospel. The real beauty of the good news that you are so loved that the trip from heaven to earth that ultimately led to his crucifixion was done with joy because of the way that he loves you. Maybe you would ask him this morning that he would bring conviction as David did. Oh Lord, search my heart and know me. Or is there anything in my life, any sin that I've hidden, any secret that... I'm justifying. Would you just bring that before him? In repentance, maybe the most beautiful word in the gospel is that God through his kindness leads us to repentance. Maybe there's people in your life who've done something wrong to you. You've let bitterness take root and now you can't experience the joy of Christ. Would you invite Jesus into that wound even now? Ask him to heal it. To bring forgiveness. And grace. And then finally is the prayer of surrender. Would you ask the Holy Spirit that he would help you yield completely to the leadership of Christ the King? Anything that's outside of his jurisdiction that we've tried to keep to ourselves, our ambitions and dreams, maybe our finances, some things we love the most that we want to lord over them ourselves, maybe this morning would be an invitation from Jesus just to bring those things to him. Completely yielding to his kingship. God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy for the truth of your word, for the fulfillment of these prophecies that in the deepest, 
darkest nights, we can know that you're here, you're with us, you're for us. Our advocate before the Father, interceding on our behalf even now. Or that we would trust you. Lord, I say a prayer of the offering we're about to receive. Or that we would give generously and sacrificially to further your kingdom, not begrudgingly or out of guilt, but Lord, cheerfully. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, amen. The band's going to sing here. They're going to play a little bit, and we're going to take an offering, and then we're going to sing. The baskets are up here on the table, so we're not going to do things as we normally do. Then the baskets will be up here. And we just want you to come and drop your little offering envelope in the basket. If you didn't get an offering envelope, there's some, uh, Miss Rhonda will have some in the back. Even if you've given online, about half of our church gives online. If you would just write online on that envelope real big as to indicate you've already given or you're going to give online, and just the number that you gave. That'll help those people who are counting for us kind of know kind of what our actual number is today. And um, those continue to come in normally through the end of the year. But I'd like to announce in a couple days if we've met our goal. So um, this is a really cool invitation. A couple times this Christmas, even my kids have asked if they can have this and they can do that and really with no pushback I just said you know what baby instead of doing that this year we're going to spend that money we're going to give it in this Christmas offering and we're going to send it to some people who are doing some incredible work in really dark places so our whole family's in on this I know Miss Robin's picking up a little offering of those little M&M medicine jars today and they're sowing these seeds so when you're ready, the baskets will be here. If you can just come and drop your uh, envelope in there. If you didn't get some, Miss Rhonda's in the back. Many of you may not have gotten one because you gave online, didn't think this applied to you. But we want to have record of all that. So if you could come put that in the basket, and Phil and Kaylee will lead us in uh, worship. And Jason will close us out in a little bit. I'll be in the back too. If you'd like to pray with someone, something heavy on your heart, be more than willing. It'd be an honor to pray with you through that. Come when you're ready.